and welcome back to State of Mind. I'm Grace Kingswell and this is my series all about health, nutrition and conscious living in tune with our bodies and our planet. Today I am so excited to bring you an episode with Sophie Hellier. Sophie is, for want of a better word, a sustainability influencer, but we originally connected due to our mutual love of cold water swimming. And this is where the episode starts. Sophie tells us about the intricate connection for her between her mental health and cold water, how she grew up surfing in Devon and now as a city gal, how she maintains her equilibrium when she can't get to the ocean every day. We then talk about our planet, fast fashion, plastic pollution, feminism and so much more. This is a profound and educated chat and I have to thank Sophie for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her insight with us. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get into it. Welcome, Sophie, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. (laughs) This is actually the first time we've met, although we were just saying we feel like we know each other through our mutual Instagram love of swimming in cold water. Yeah, and the WhatsApp group Pond Pals. Yes, (laughs) which I'm so happy to be a part of. So I was going to say, for those listening, a nice foray into what we're going to talk about today might be our mutual love of cold water. Maybe that's a good place to start with you and your journey and how you got from swimming in the ocean every day to what you're doing now. Yeah, so I grew up in North Devon by the sea and my dad and both my sisters surfed. So I learned to surf (laughs) and I joined like the Surf Lifesaving Club and the sea very quickly became a huge part of my life. It was kind of where I went when I was alone, where I went when I was with friends, where I went Mm. when I was happy, where I went when I was sad. It was kind of the place I went every weekend on the school bus after school. Um, Yeah, I guess in a way I almost feel like more at home when I'm in the water. I just really feel like myself when Mm. I'm in the water. When I'm in the city, I get a bit kind of like confused and anxious. And Yeah, I think that happens to I don't know. It's so hard to explain what it is, but I was just saying to your partner, like for me, when I can't see the horizon as well, it's, it's kind of, I get a bit anxious. I like to be able to see the horizon. I like to know mm. what the tides are doing, what the wind's doing, what the waves are doing, and just mm. being like that connected and engaged with the environment. Um, so yeah, I surfed um, competitively for a few years and surfed for many more years after that, just for the love of it. And then a couple of years ago, um, me and a couple of friends were discussing how cold showers are meant to be really good for your health. Yeah, And we just decided like, why don't we just all jump in the sea instead? That's cold. <laughs> I think it was March a couple of years ago. Um, so we Are you still in Devon at this point? No, I was living in Ireland. I lived in Ireland for f- last five years. I've been in London Amazing. a year. So yeah, we met um, at seven in the morning in a slipway in March and all threw ourselves into the sea <laughs> and decided we would do it once a week. And then I think that week it became twice a week and by the next week it became every day. <laughs> it's really addictive, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's... It became, I don't know, it's it, it's a huge community thing. Like, firstly, you're seeing the same women. All of a sudden, like, you're not lonely. You're seeing those same women. And it was mostly, there was a the few, few guys came and joined us, but it, mm. the ones who were regular were mostly women. And you see them every day through, you know, breaking up of relationships, breaking up of jobs, relatives dying, any stresses in lives, you know, your pet, whatever it is. Mm those women are there for you in the morning and in you go and once you get in the sea it just firstly all those worries are kind of just left behind you're like weightless literally floating yeah. and then 
it's kind of like a magic reset button. You just leave that shit behind and you're like, right, if I can go in the water when it's six degrees, I can mm. do anything. Mm. Let's like get on with the day. And it just gives you such like an empowering feeling. Yeah. So yeah, and then I moved to London a year ago and the cold water has been my absolute saviour. And you will find me on every icy day throwing myself into Highgate Ladies Pond. <laughs> or, or Kenwood Ladies Pond, as it's also Oh known. yeah, sorry, Kenwood Ladies Pond. I get, I had a discussion, yeah, because I call yeah. it, I always call it Hampstead Pond. Yeah. Because that's not the name, it's Kenwood Pond. Where does that come from? I, just want, I don't oh, know Ken, it. Oh, because Kenwood House is the like stately home in Hampstead Heath, yeah, right, so where they filmed... And what is Highgate, a small village there? I'm like not a Londoner. So, so Highgate know. is, yeah, so Highgate is a borough? No. Yeah, Highgate is like an area of London where I would ideally like to live one day. And it's Highgate, so Highgate is the other side of Hampstead Heath to Hampstead Village. Exactly. So you know where the ladies' pond is? That's basically <laughs> actually Highgate. Yeah, so, so the ladies' pond is in Highgate. Called, yeah, and the mixed pond is more in Hampstead. Okay. Because they're like on the other side of the... So Hampstead Pond is kind of the mixed pond. Yeah, exactly. There you go, listeners, some pond Top geography tips. from Grace. <laughs> what do you do in the summer? Because it, what are we now, June? The water's already like 18 degrees. Yeah, in London, the water's seared right up. Mm. Luckily, in the ocean, <laughs> I think the UK, it never really gets above. The warmest it gets is about 16 in the sea and normally yeah. sits around 14. So like, if you go swimming in the summer in the morning, it still feels cold. Mm. Um, yeah, I definitely crave it. I'm lucky enough I was in Norway two weeks ago so I had a swim every morning in the blizzard oh my gosh <laughs> in the fjord in Norway um how often do you have to get your fix like what's the longest stint you can do sounds like you're an addict you know it's like we're talking about like if I go more than a week without getting wet I get a bit my mind gets unhealthy yeah but I have fixes, you know, if I can't get to the water, the sea or the pond or the lake or wherever it is, I have, you know, I know I need to do yoga or I need to go running or I need to, I have like other things I can mm. do to fill the gap, but nothing does it quite like mm. cold water. It is incredibly healing, I think. I don't know what it is about water, whether it's because like you were saying, it just amazing, it's amazing. It just connects us with nature. But what you were saying about the horizon is really interesting from like a um, scientific point of view, because that's like if we can see the horizon, then there's a part in our brain called the limbic system, mm -hmm. which uh, it sends a signal to your body to like relax. It's the same with like so the limbic so it system is scientifically is, proved that it's nice to see the horizon. Yeah, so your so your so your body gathers data from three points: your eyes, your ears, and your feet. Mm -hmm. So if you can see the horizon, you feel calm. If you can put your feet like um, without socks and shoes yeah. on solid ground, it again sends a signal to your brain to feel calm. And the third one is your ears, which are basically like um, a spirit level. They've got little flecks of calcium floating around in them, which if it's all like tumbled around like a snow globe, you feel really anxious and stressed. Like if you're in a crowd and there's all these people or if you're on a boat and you're like rocking, for example. So that's why crowds are really anxiety causing because you can't see the mm -hmm. horizon that's why trees are so amazing because they're like a physical anchor point in nature to the horizon yeah so if you can just like get outdoors I always say to people that I see in clinic like if you suffer with anxiety like nature is just your friend yeah. and people don't use it enough like it's just there for totally. us and people just like 
don't engage with it on no, a daily you know, basis. It's one of the reasons I really love London is all the green and watery mm. spaces. Like it seems like around every corner there's a little yeah. nature reserve or a park. And if you just look on Google Maps, like you're never far away from a big green space. Yeah. Like Finchley Park Station, it, it's so hectic and it's so busy and there's so many homeless people living under the bridge. And you just go up four steps on the bridge and you're in this nature reserve. Mm. And they're all over London and we're so lucky. But I just feel like people don't know about them and don't use them yeah or don't really I, I think we're so engaged with so many other things on a daily basis that we don't make space for yeah. like you know you wouldn't walk home you wouldn't just go and sit in a park and do nothing these days you'd go and sit in a park and you'd flick through your instagram feed so yeah. you're, you're never a hundred percent engaged with it anyway mm. and i think more and more people thankfully are realizing that we need to like completely switch off and you know, the retreat space is growing and people like throwing themselves into because I know you do retreats as well. Mm -hmm. And you get people to swim in the sea and just literally throw themselves in. And, you know, technology is not not a thing. And then it's like, how do you come back to London and bring that back with you? Like, what are you going to yeah. change in your life that's going to take on all of those amazing things that you learned? And I think for me, because I'm the same, like I love getting into water. I love getting into nature. I just try and see green like first thing in the morning yeah it's just like walk in the park or whatever yeah definitely it's just a shame that to get to the park you have to walk through like loads of traffic no, and loads it's of so fumes true. I used to live like right in Hackney Central and I was very close to Hackney Downs and same Hackney is just so hectic yeah and you know I've seen like people getting mugged and I've seen someone die in the street in front of me it's so full-on but if I just crossed the road into Hackney Downs Park in the morning yeah, and just yeah. like went for a five-minute walk in the trees it just made me feel so good and happy and calm and positive like mm. it's amazing I don't think we value enough the benefit of like being in trees and ocean and no yeah so what's your journey been like towards the kind of conscious lifestyle that you live now in terms of being environmentally conscious and do you think that the start you had in life where you were so immersed with nature and connected to the ocean has basically dictated the way you are now um yeah, I absolutely think that being close to the ocean and in nature has given me a lot of environmental awareness. Mm. Um, I guess for me, the kind of journey of being more environmentally conscious um, started, I was in the Maldives surfing like five or six years, five years ago, maybe. And um, just the amount of plastic pollution there was like absolutely mind-blowing you just see what you think are going to be postcard perfect tropical beaches mm. and you get there and they're just like swamped you can't see the sand through plastic bottles piled all the way up along them and the Maldives is one of the most densely populated places in the world mm. and because Mali the capital like it's a nation of islands so you have all of these people on an island and then the tourism that comes is like way more than the population there. So that, that influx of tourism adds to it. Yeah. There's absolutely nowhere to put the rubbish. So the rubbish just goes into the sea or they've actually built an island called Trash Island where they mm. put all the rubbish. So at that up until that point, I'd pretty much been just like having a nice time, you know, like mm. surfing, getting paid a lot of money to surf and model and traveling and just enjoying myself. And I think that was a point where I realized... I can't just go on holiday and have a nice time anymore and like enjoy, ignore yeah. all of these issues. Like I have to do something about it. I can yeah. see how much damage it was causing. What's the, just to inject, what's the most shocking thing you've ever seen in the ocean when you've been surfing? Uh, I've had it when I was about 
14, I had a used sanitary pad land on my, I like did a duck dive, came up and it went, boop, oh, <laughs> landed God. in front of me on my board. It's like used sanitary pad and I've seen, you know, tampons, used condoms. Oh, I've seen dead animals, like mm. I've seen a dead pig once. I don't know. Plastic wise, it's absolutely everything. I have to say the majority of plastic waste, somewhere like the Maldives, yes, the majority of plastic waste is things like plastic bottles. In the UK, the majority of plastic waste I see is from the fishing industry. Mm. And I think it's it's 46% of plastic waste, they say, is from yeah. fishing industry. Do you think it's enough to... Because I, I saw you post about that the other day. Obviously, you know, we can go to the supermarkets these days and we can buy fish with the blue tick that's been sourced sustainably. Mm. Is that enough? Or is that kind of... Yeah. Not greenwashing, but is that sort of a bit of a farce? So... Firstly, one thing aside, the whole blue tick on the fish thing, I watched a new Patagonia film, Artificial, recently. Okay. It's all about fish farming in um, Norway. And it basically just does a deep dive into why fish that's labelled sustainably farmed fish mm. is not sustainable. And there's sustainable farm fishing is not, sorry, farmed fishing is not sustainable. So that is a whole different subject. But as far as they're doing the one thing, yeah, it's a really hot, like, for me, the big thing is flying. So, like, mm. if I'm investing in all this, like, slow fashion and not consuming fast fashion and I'm buying plastic-free veg and I'm cycling around the town and doing all this stuff to, like, be more environmentally aware and lower my carbon footprint and then I'm flying around the planet, does that just wipe out everything else I'm doing? Yeah. Because, obviously, flying has a big carbon footprint. But I think that the positive things we do aren't erased by, mm. you know, if you accidentally go and buy something top shop, that doesn't erase the fact that you all the other clothes you bought yeah. in the last four months are from a charity shop. And um, I think that each thing is like a little stepping stone into the next. So you might be like, oh, the plastic's an issue. I'll get a reusable bottle. And then that's a stepping stone into seeing, oh, plastic packaging's an issue. I'll start, stop that. And then, oh, actually organic I need to be buying organic and mm. then all of them kind of it's like an environmental awakening and one yeah. leads to the other um and I really do think the small things are important a lot of political change like policy level and international agreement that comes from grassroots movements mm. so the those small things are like for, I think the small things are really important yeah. yeah I think it's really encouraging to hear you say that because I think there's a lot of environmental anxiety going around these days. I certainly feel it. I did all of January plastic free this mm -hmm. year, which was challenging, but amazing. And then off the back of that, I now feel like intensely guilty if I slip up somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, like if I need to buy something or if I've like, I don't know, bought something packaged in plastic or whatever. And I, I think it's because I tried for so long to be so good and then you think, well, hold on, like I'm still doing so much. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, there's so many people in the world that unfortunately aren't aware of all this yet. And it's like, how do we get to them? Yeah. You know, how do we well, impact that, yeah. change to the people that like we were, it brought, almost brought tears to my eyes. I got so mad. Nick and I were driving home from seeing some friends on Sunday and a car pulled out in front of us and stopped um, it was like a, a like a pedestrian street, wasn't busy. And the woman opened her car door and dropped three plastic bottles and her rubbish onto the road, shut the door and then drove off. Yeah. And I, I just, what do you, like, 
it's horrible. I don't know what you do in yeah. that situation and, and how do you reach those people? Yeah. So there's, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people aren't, there's a lot of people aren't educated on it and have much more important mm. things going on. Um, exactly. Like, it, which is why, like, in my opinion, we really need policy change. Mm. And, you know, I think the most powerful small, small action that we can all do is vote. Yeah. And voting is incredibly powerful um, and shouldn't be. You know, it really surprised me when people just like don't bother to vote. Yeah. Um. So that is one one way that it's gonna. You know, we can all be. There's all these like carrying mi- middle, middle class Lord. people being really proud of carrying their cutlery around I know, and their lovely lunchbox. It basically like, is a middle class movement yeah, right now. Yeah, it really mm. is. But that this is that's why it's important that we do make the small changes, but that we're also like really politically engaged and yeah. that we are you know signing online petitions when they come up and sharing these things and voting and emailing our local MPs and you know Mm. I put a post on my Instagram last night to the mayor of London just like yo when are you going to recycle my food (laughs) yeah Um, I still can't get a a food waste yeah we don't get them either you Hammersmith yeah Hammersmith Hammersmith and Fulham doesn't get them and I called up the other day and and I was like she was like yeah no sorry we don't do them I was like yes that's why I'm calling like can you get me one she's like no sorry so 10 out of the 33 London boroughs don't do any food recycling at all and 16 of the ones that do don't collect from any flats at all so anyone who lives in a flat doesn't get a brown box collected and that's and then several more of them that do only collect from some flats so there's like a huge huge population yeah what is it eight million people or something in London it's like double the population of Ireland in London and like half of them aren't having their food collected Mm. What are you, you've found a solution, haven't you, recently for composting in the city? Um, well, a few. I, I put a shout out on Instagram and I was like, what does everyone do? And the, the main thing that people said was a wormery. So if you're up for having a little wormery in your house, you could do that. But they're quite expensive. You know, I don't necessarily have £150 to spend on a wormery. Yeah. Um, someone said to me that they blend all of their leftover food, like banana skins and eggshells. They put them in the blender and pour it down the toilet. <laughs> Wow, I'm not going to endorse that because I'm not really also like water usage. Like quite wear and tear on the blender if you're putting uh, yeah, eggshells like, in there, uh, right? Um, lots of people freeze them. We live in a flat and we only have two freezer drawers, so that's not an option. Um, some people just go renegade and go out to the park in the evening and lob in a hedge. <laughs> but I went and chatted to the guys. There's like a garden center type thing next to me and I went and spoke to the gardener there and asked if I could do drop off once a week uh, like organic raw food waste mm. um and he's getting back to me so hopefully that yeah. will be but I mean that's all well and good that I'm conscious and aware and I've done this but th- what about everyone else living in my flats what about everyone else living in every other flat everywhere in London you mm. know it's yeah it has to be more than just me doing my thing yeah and then also what you were just saying about like that, that when you feel the guilt and you're like, oh no, I was plastic free for a month. And, mm. you know, I'd be the same one a couple of times a year I eat fish. And, you know, I bought a dress in Zara the other day and I hardly ever, ever buy new clothes. And I think what is important, I just wrote an article about this for Surf Girl, but kind of what's important for me is a distinction between guilt and shame. Guilt, if you're worried about doing it because you are worried what other people are going to say and they're going to call you out, then that's mm. like, Sorry, that's sh- so shame is like that. Shame is like, <gasps> I don't want someone else to see me carrying this plastic bottle. I don't okay. want someone else to see me. Whereas guilt is more like, you know, that it just doesn't align with your morals and you're not really going with your intuition and you're mm-hmm. not doing what feels right. So, yeah, there's kind of a difference between that, like 
public shame of someone being like, oh, you got your dress in Zara. And, yeah. Or just being like, mm, I probably shouldn't have done that because I know the story behind fast fashion yeah. and I'm better educated than that. I think there's also a distinction to be made with the fashion thing. Um, at the beginning of the year, I set myself the challenge of no no new clothes in 2019. Yeah, love that. And it's been great. Like, I just don't need stuff. Yeah. I have so much, well, I've given mm -hmm. so much away. I just don't need anything. But um, I think there's a, a distinction to be made between, say, for example, buying a dress in Zara. And actually, I did break it the other day because I managed to dye two of my three white t-shirts pink in the wash and I was like I need a new white t-shirt I could go and buy it from Organic Basics but I'm feeling a bit skint right now mm -hmm. so I'm going to go and buy one from Uniqlo that I know that I love and I'm going to wear this mm -hmm. for like my last white t-shirts I've had them for over 10 years I think there's definitely a distinction to be made between buying into fast fashion because yeah. you don't give a shit and you're going to chuck it out or wearing that item to death and then maybe at the end of its life making it into like a rag to clean your home with or yeah. do you know what I mean I think that's what I have an issue with is is the like speed of it and yeah it's and the trend the, like, it's like buying an outfit to wear it once and yeah then and, and this whole uh, the, you know lots of people get, uh, getting married at the moment and everyone's talking about wedding outfits and getting an outfit for a wedding and I mean why a do wedding you need a dress, new one the we a wedding dress is the single most unsustainable item of clothing on the planet because you literally only wear it once well I had two <laughs> <laughs> we got married in Australia and I have to say that was an unsustainable dress because I bought it. It was like $50. I got it online. It was really, really simple. I still have it. And I did think I might shorten it and try and wear it, but I'm probably not going to. But the second dress was a sample, like secondhand one from mm -hmm. a... Because I just couldn't bear myself to firstly spend the money. Yeah. And secondly, you know, you're just never going to wear it again. What is the point? Yeah. I'm totally up. If I get married ever, I'm just going to borrow one off one of my friends. I think. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. like people build it up to be such a big day and then it comes around and it's actually just, yeah, it's not about the dress in the end. And as far as like being a guest to weddings, if you want a new dress, there's so many really great rental companies out there now. There's like one called Her, H-U-R-R. -R. And there's quite a few different ones and like you can rent a really nice dress for the same price as buying like one in Topshop or something, mm. you know, and... I, I When I did my TED talk last year, I wore this like pink knitted dress that my friend Leodon knitted me. And I absolutely love the dress. But after I wore it after that, everyone kept being like, oh, that's your TED dress. That's your dress. And I was kind of embarrassed to like be wearing it again at events because it just felt weird. Everyone knowing I've worn it and wearing it again. And then I've had to totally change my um, outlook on it. And now I'm like really proud to mm. wear it again. I've had to like, yeah, tell myself like, no, that's fucked up. And now... If someone says, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, my friend knitted it for me and it's a really special dress and I love it and I'm going to, I am going to wear it again and I'm going to wear it for years and years to come and like be really proud to be seen. Like, you know, when we were young, we just grew up with all these magazines being like, oh my God, she wore the same dress twice. Yeah. <laughs> like literally that yeah, was the headline so in whatever, J17 or. Yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of going against everything we were told when we were younger and actually claiming it, being like, yes. I've been wearing this dress for six years, deal with it. <laughs> I think that's really lovely though, because like it reminds you of something, like, you did a TED talk, that's epic. You know, yeah. you should be <laughs> like so proud of that. And if people are like, that's your TED dress, be like, hell yeah, it's my TED dress. Because <laughs> I did a TED talk. Um, I wanted to ask you about like the best route into making an, making an impact. Um and we've already touched on so many things from like fast fashion to single use plastic to just being more environmentally aware. 
obviously it's good to do all of these things and not just kind of make an isolated effort, i.e. I'm just going to not use a plastic water bottle. But if you were to give someone a good starting point as a kind of initial foray into being more environmentally minded, where would you tell them to start? Hmm. I love that quote. And I don't know whose quote it is. I should find out because I say it all the time. But the the world doesn't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. It needs millions of people doing zero waste imperfectly. Mm. So... I think just to start yeah. <laughs> is a good um, starting point. And then um, I think for me, plastic is a really tangible. I know lots of people say like, oh, the plastic distraction and plastics distracting us from all these other huge environmental crises, crisis. But it's so tangible that you can see like if you go and do a beach clean, like go and do two minute beach clean on the river in the Thames or on the beach in Devon or mm. Cornwall, wherever you are. And you see the plastic and you see like, hold on, there's plastic bottles. What happened? And you realise nothing gets thrown away. There is no way. It gets put in a landfill or it gets floated out to sea or, you know, it doesn't go away. It's somewhere. And because you can see it and like see the damage it's causing. And it's so easy to have power over that one thing and be like, I'm not going to buy any more plastic bottles of water in. Mm. And like I said, for me, like just starting with those small things, like being aware of not buying single-use plastic and then going into like looking in your bathroom and being like okay I don't really need to buy shampoo and conditioner bottles I mm. can get for the same price I could get a bar of shampoo and conditioner in somewhere like Lush or yeah. my health food store and then maybe for me like we've made Sunday mornings we go to the market near our house and we buy all our veg on a Sunday morning now and there's kind of Lots of small, easy, tangible steps that you can mm. kind of do that give you power over these things. And yeah. Yeah. I'm also, there's a, there's something, the slow fashion thing. Have you seen that? There's slow fashion exchange. No, there's one coming up. It's like you sign up and it's uh, three, don't buy, not buying any new clothes for three months. So it's quite oh, a nice Because I wanted to do a year as well, but I feel like a year is a huge challenge. Yeah. But I think it starts next month and it's no new clothes for three months. There's like I'm in. tens of thousands of people signed up to it. So yeah. Um, that would be a really good start for a lot of people, I think, to just kind of look back at their own wardrobe. and. Yeah, yeah. I think the, um, it's interesting you picked on the water bottle thing because I had a guy called Ian Rowlands on the podcast who's the director of um, the charity Incredible Oceans mm -hmm. and they put on, they're the, the creators of Whale Fest and from Whale Fest they've grown to Incredible Oceans and they're now running something called Siren Festival, which is down on the beach in Aldborough and it's like huge in like artistic installations and music and education and talks and you know to tackle everything that we're, we're talking about at the moment and I asked him a similar sort of question he said um the water bottle is such a good because it's it's a faff like to carry your stainless steel water bottle around and find somewhere to fill it up and if you're prepared to do that yeah. it's a really good symbol in a way of being prepared to perhaps like take the next steps further down the line so I think it's yeah a good place to start isn't it for a lot of people yeah amazing yeah um delving into your work as a quote-unquote influencer I, I know you hate the word <laughs> <laughs> I hate having to call people that they need a new word for that um you said in a recent blog post, how can any brand truly align with the complex set of principles, aesthetics, ambitions and audience demographics that form the basis of a personal social social media feed? Which I think is such an interesting point of view and I've never heard anyone say that before. How do you 
then manage to keep your message consistent and your brand partnerships consistent, taking into account that, yeah, you're so right, it's a completely personal space. When you, when you just read that, I was like, that sounds really intelligent. When did I write no, that? so great. And then I realised I wrote it when I was talking about my uh, labia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I read your post on... Um, Is that when I took it? I was talking about Megan Barton Hansen's exactly. labia. No, because I recently bought a stainless steel razor. Classic. And um, I saw that you'd written a post on like how to shave your vagina with a sustainable razor. I was like, no one is writing about this. This is so great. <laughs> Um, yes. So, sorry, the question, how do I keep my message when I... Yeah, um, and how do you yeah. work out which brands you want to work with based on the fact that your opinions might be forever changing and they're very personal to you? Yeah, I always wonder whether I should just focus on one thing because, you know, a lot of people just do one thing and they do it really well and this mm. is their mission. Like, oh, my mission is to stand up, pal around and pick up plastic, whatever. But I'm so passionate about basically two different things that um, are definitely entwined. Um, so I, obviously I do a lot of work with like environmentalism and sustainability, but I'm all of also really passionate about feminism and equal opportunities. And for me, my work in that is really like making a safe, welcome and inclusive, diverse space in um, surfing and swimming. Um, so for, yeah. women. For, for women. For, yeah. for women, yeah. Um, so... Working with brands, yeah, I turn down a lot of work, which I can't really financially afford to do, but I basically just go with my intuition. And mm. if a brand doesn't align, you know, I got offered a job a couple of years ago, no, a year, just over a year ago, and um, really well paid, one day's modeling, I think one Instagram post, whatever. And I found out the day before I was meant to leave for the job, it's a shoot in Scotland that the coats use real fur. Okay. So I just said, no, I pulled straight out, can't do it, vegetarian, don't wear fur, absolutely not. Mm. And my boyfriend and I at the time broke up over it because he was just like, you can't afford to do that, you haven't got any money. And for me, I was very much like, look, my morals have to mm. come before money. Like I can't, I just know like for my mental health, if I'm doing, if I do something like that, that makes me worry, I get really anxious, I get quite depressed, I go into like, I have like mental health wobbles and... Mm. um you have to go and throw yourself in some cold water. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just doesn't serve me well at all for like my mental health to do things that don't align with me. And so I'm quite conscious. When a brand emails me, the first thing I email them is like, can you send me some details on your like sustainability policies, what work you're doing, what like give backs you, community give backs you have, da 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 da. And kind of always engage a brand on that level to start with, which to begin with puts a lot of companies off and they just don't reply or they're like, oh, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the companies that do respond are not up for sharing that information. Even if the information isn't perfect, I'm more willing to work with them because, uh, you know, the, if someone's admitting their problem, that's the mm. first stage to them being like, oh, yeah, okay, I see that's an issue in our company. So now we acknowledge yeah, the problem, yeah. we'll have to fix it. Yeah. And maybe you, um, can, you can be the catalyst to that change. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that you, can, you can't change these companies necessarily from the outside, but from being in there and working with them, mm. um, you can get these changes. So... Yeah, the last year I've been like very conscious about who I've worked with. There's been, you know, one or two that in retrospect I should have probably researched further than I did. Or, But yeah, the, the majority of the companies I work with mm. are really great. And when it comes to the like the bigger brands, 
they basically have to have something that aligns with they either need need to have a strong like sustainability message and be doing something positive there or they mm -hmm. need to have a strong space in the like empowering women and um, be doing something good there yeah yeah what would you say to because obviously at the moment just going back to the fashion thing um there's a lot of kind of greenwashing going about and H&M conscious collections mm. and Zara recycled this. And, you know, to your average person that's that's not as knowledgeable, say, you about all of the issues, but still wants to make an effort. And then, you know, they see they're walking past a shop on Oxford Street and they see that that yeah. garment's made from recyclable mater materials. Yeah, It's so hard, isn't it? Because... Like the advertising and the mixed messaging is just out to get people yeah, totally. wanting to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I have to say, like the, the fact that a lot of the journalism as such, the um, media reporting now is done by influencers, not journalists. Yeah, adds on to that. So yeah. I went to Adidas's launch a couple of months ago for their new um, the sustainable shoe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what Adidas said was actually quite was they were transparent and honest about it, but the message got kind of basically all the influence they invited 200 influencers and journalists and the influencers kind of did the greenwashing for them so they've made a shoe their whole idea is um it's a closed loop so the shoe is 100 recyclable it's the mm. first shoe to be made with like no glue that i know of so it's mm. all in one piece it's totally recyclable so at the end of the life they get the shoes back from people hopefully recycle them and make new shoes but it was covered in all the press you know in vogue all over the place it was covered that the shoe was made out of 100% recycled ocean plastics, that it was just broken down and made into a totally new shoe. Like, no. Yes, the loop is a very good business model idea, but the shoe's made from 100% virgin plastic. And when the shoe's recycled, only 5% of that recycled shoe goes into the next shoe. So the second generation shoe is still 95% virgin plastic. Wow. So and I, I'm, there's still a lot of positive things in Adidas to be celebrated for making the positive move. But it's it's so hard to know the truth. Like mm. people just see this, like, oh my god, yay, great shoe from Adidas. It's like mm, you have to kind of look deeper. Yeah, and and where do you dig for that information? So there's a really really good app called Good on You, and they have a website too, and they have a lot of companies on there, and I use that almost daily. Yeah, um, just to, to research, like not because I'm shopping daily, but just to I find it really interesting to research and compare brands, and it basically gives brands a really easy to read score. So like not good enough they've made a start good excellent kind mm. of thing and you know like patagonia might be a excellent or good and veja good and adidas might be a, it's just whatever mm. but it makes it very easy to kind of you know if you need a new pair of trainers and you don't have a huge budget and you're like right i've got 50 quid I need to buy a pair of trainers you can look at nike and you can look at adidas and you can look at new balance and you can make your decision purchase based on who has the best ratings from it and they do like environmental standards um, human like workers standards and climate change impact or something you know mm. so good on your app is absolutely brilliant and I'd recommend anyone who buys clothes to download it amazing <laughs> um, let's talk about the the female focus in your content you're saying you're super passionate about feminism and equal rights particularly within the watery space mm -hmm. um, is it is it a conscious effort on your part to do more to, to push the kind of feminism thing more and the equal rights because there are so many influencers doing the sustainability thing well? Um, yeah, I guess in a, in a way, yeah, I, I see lots of people doing like the 
zero waste living and the plastic free and the whatever I see people doing that and I do um, I do kind of feel like right that space is yeah not taken but like that space is they've people have got control of that space and there's people mm. doing that work it's quite saturated now it's like yeah and part of me resents that, that a lot of people are like hashtagging sustainable and zero waste and it's because it's like a buzzword yeah and that's something that also kind of I mean it's good that they're doing but it kind of grates me that I know several like very good good influencers such people with very strong followings who are just doing sustainability because it's a trend and they've said to me like yeah I get loads of likes when I talk about sustainability so I'm going to do it and mm. it's good they're doing it but it kind of doesn't sit very well with me that they're not doing it because they're passionate and they believe in it and they really care about the soil and the trees and the ocean it's they're doing it because yeah. it's a trend and they're getting likes so it's yeah. it doesn't feel great but um I don't think that's I mean I still share stuff about that but I for me, like like I said, my work is really in kind of changing the representation of women in sports, especially in surfing and mm-hmm. swimming and um, just like I know how healing the water can be and how good it's been for like my mental and physical health. Mm. I've seen how it's changed the lives of people all over the world. I was in Brazil last week and most of the boys who run the surf schools there are from the favelas and you know it's the worst drug and gun crime in the world. Mm. And they've like completely changed their lives and they're just at the beach surfing and have these like really positive lives. Yeah. Like I really feel that everyone should have access to that resource. Yeah. And I wanna make people welcome in surfing that don't look like me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be a size eight model, white skinned, able bodied to go surfing. Like, cool, you're paralyzed from the chest down, we can get you in the sea. Cool, yeah. you're 40 and you're a mum and you've never surfed, we can get you in the sea. Cool, yeah. you're in a city London kid who've ne- who's never even seen the beach, like, we can get you in the sea. Yeah. It's kind of my... It's amazing. I'm pretty passionate about that. <laughs> we, um, I was just thinking as you were speaking, both of us have spent some time in Australia mm-hmm. and um, I just think Aussies are the happiest people. Like, <laughs> they're always, you know, you walk around London and people don't have a smile on their face or quite often jostle you in the street. You know, everyone's stressed. They've got their own personal agendas. They don't look up from their coffee cup or their phone. You go to like Sydney or wherever and walk around and like I was just struck by how happy everyone was and maybe it is because they most of them live a life right next to the ocean and you know historically going back years and years and years as humans we've always gone to the coast to recuperate Mm. you know to take the waters to um, spend our summers and it is just... I mean, the reason I, I've, I don't know why I've always been drawn to cold water. I think it's exhilaration. I just really love it. But I started getting into swimming while I was in London, like not just in the sea while I was on holiday, but actually mm-hmm. going to Hampstead while I've been in London. Like you said, to heal from, for me, it was more of like a physical thing, not mm-hmm. so much mental. The mental was like a side effect. But it's just, I just think everyone that says, I can't do cold water, I'm really scared, just needs to try it. Yeah, that for me, that my retreats, so I host women's retreats that are um, surfing, yoga, cold water swimming, hiking, hot tubs, veggie food, women's circles, just like... So good. Basically all my favourite things in four days. Yeah. Um, but that is like, you know, I have women who come in on the first day of retreat, they're terrified of the ocean, they've never been surfing, they've never been swimming in the sea, and they start off, you know, first day they watch, and then maybe the second day I hold, like hold their hands mm. and walk them into the ocean, and then by the end they're getting naked and jumping off a pier yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah I could like in that small space of time I've seen how people who thought 
you know, my the my retreat in the autumn is called Embracing Winter, and it's just about like getting people to that exactly embrace winter mm. just instead of being depressed oh winter's coming on I no. think autumn is the nicest time to I swim I freaking love autumn mm. and it's, you it's know we grew up like my mum just told us all the time no such thing as bad weather Yeah, weather is just weather so if you're saying like no the weather's really bad today it's like no your perception of the weather is bad the weather's just out there doing weather like yeah. you can go out and enjoy it or you can go out and be sad I need to remember this for my, <laughs> my rainy week in Cornwall starting yeah, tomorrow so like just go out there and like it's totally a um, yeah. outlook and mind frame you know um, yeah, my, that's my mindset. sentence. Mindset. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I did my first event in Hampstead a couple of weeks ago, which was like a swim and yoga thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I really thought we. And I was like astounded. I thought I was going to get like five girls, but we sold like twenty tickets. It was free. Like it's a free thing, but we yeah. like sold twenty tickets. Um, I really thought people would be coming for the swimming, but it turns out everyone was there for the yoga. Oh, so really? when it got to God. the swim. The girls were like a bit nervous and this is like a couple of weeks ago, the water was uh, like... The water's like 18 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't worry, you're going to be fine. And it was just so rewarding to see everyone's face light up when yeah. they got in and we were all swimming together as a group and it just breaks down barriers as well. Like yeah. people just opened up and started chatting and it was just the best. Yeah. Like the best thing. My boyfriend yesterday said to me, I was like, 18 degrees. His housemates had just been swimming somewhere. And I was like, 18 degrees, it's not even cold. And he's like, Sophie, you have to be nice to people. Like, they don't all swim when it's one degree. Like, yeah. you have to realise like, it's subjective. And for some people, that is cold. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like now is a very good time of year to start in a way because you just get acclimatised to it and mm. then you stay with it as it gets colder. Yeah. You know, the women who come on my retreat in October and April are kind of hardcore because they're starting their cold water swimming at the coldest times of year. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Get into the sea, people, if we're leaving you with one message. But do it safely. There's a little safety, a swim safely thing. There's a guide to wild swimming safely on my blog if anyone's going to get into it. Because I always have this fear that people are just going to let's go and jump into some dangerous in water. Yeah, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the <laughs> description. Because also the ocean is masterless and mm. water can be very, very dangerous and we have to respect it too. So yeah, there's a lot of never swim alone. No mm. way you're swimming. Yada, yada. <laughs> okay, so let's finish up with the three questions I ask everyone. That was my tummy. Digesting Marmite and toast. <laughs> oh, <Sorry>. yum. <laughs> so what's one thing in life that you would do again if you could? Okay. You told me, yes, I read yesterday that you were going to ask me this question. And I was like, God, that's a really hard question. And one thing, because there's so many trips I did when I was younger when... You know, I went to Fiji three times. It's amazing opportunities, but at the time I was like not very well in my head and didn't really enjoy it. And I was trying to work out what one trip it would be. And then it suddenly came to me. It's actually really easy to answer the question. My yoga teacher training, it was absolutely amazing. I did a month intensive in the west of Ireland where I hold my retreats. And amazing. it was the most like touching, empowering life-changing beneficial month for me and I would do it again in a heartbeat amazing hmm. do you teach across London um at the moment I just teach private corporates and retreats I don't teach okay. in studio because my schedule's all over the place mm. but I am looking to do some day retreats in London um this autumn so there'll amazing. be some random pop-up days happening cool yeah <laughs> and what's one thing you would change if you could um, our prime minister and I would not be choosing a bojo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Political spin. Um, what does state of mind mean to you? 
Um, similar to what I was just saying to you, it's like it's where you're at, your mood, and how your mood affects your behavior mm. and vice versa. So, but not how environmental factors affect your mood. Like you are constant. You're, you're in control of your mood, and yeah. you can, I mean, obviously, there's times when shit things happen, life is really hard. Mm. But from a day to day basis, you know, you can decide to get up early and drink your cup of tea outside and have a little walk and you can yeah. decide to like ah oh, damn it's raining I'm gonna sit inside and be miserable or you can go mm, it's raining I'm gonna put on my coat and go for a little walk to the bookshop on the corner you know yeah it's your mood and how you can change your behavior with it I guess yeah. mm. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's it we're done thanks so much for having me thank you so much <laughs> Thank you so much again for listening and tuning in week after week to State of Mind. As you probably all know, my goal with this podcast is to get the content heard by more people since, and I hope you'll agree with me here, I think it's useful and important. Recently, I put a story up on my Instagram saying that any support you guys can give to the podcast by leaving a five-star review or sharing it on your stories would be so appreciated. And I got a reply from someone telling me to get a real job and basically get over myself. Well, I wonder if this person has actually ever listened to the podcast. Probably not, or they they might think otherwise. I got over it pretty quickly, and I'm not embarrassed to say that this podcast needs your help. So rate it, leave a review, and share it with your friends, and I'll see you again here next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.